Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, let me begin by saying uh, thank you to Father Steve, though he's not here this evening. He and, and Jeannie are enjoying a Valentine's Day uh, weekend together, but I appreciate uh, Father Steve uh, last week being able to, to be here to celebrate, to baptize uh, Wendell and to preach in my absence. Uh, I was in San Francisco um, giving a couple of talks uh, for catechesis colloquium and then preaching and teaching at Eucharist Church uh, there in San Francisco, an Anglican uh, church there. And so just thankful again for Father Steve to, to make uh, opportunities like that possible for me. I uh, really do appreciate it. I uh, hated to miss the baptism, but when Mari and Dave presented that Sunday, I said, I won't be here, but the, Euchar or the sacrament is more important. Uh, than the priest, um, and so I'm glad I hear it was great. The pictures definitely demonstrated a great, a great celebration for Wendell's baptism. So, well, here we are. We continue to march through Epiphany Tide, and I said this last week at Eucharist Church. Epiphany Tide is a bit relentless, right, in the sense that it keeps reminding you everything from the op opening acclamation uh, that we use to the collects. Um, to the readings that the gospel is for everyone. That's what it just keeps driving home is the gospel is for everyone. I mean, we are weeks beyond uh, our ceramic magi making their way to our ceramic nativity, but yet here we are still uh, hearing the reverberations of that call that the gospel is for everyone, but coupled with uh, that sense that we are the people that are meant to take that gospel. Uh, last week's gospel reading, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, just drives that home again, that, that it's not just the gospels for everyone, now kind of hide it under the proverbial bushel, right? But instead that the gospels for everyone and it needs, to be, it needs to be proclaimed. And so this week in particular, we focus on uh, world mission and we never wanna not be thinking, of course, about the people that we know who serve in that capacity. Uh, but certainly we want to not isolate ourselves here at this parish in La Mirada and forget the larger context uh, of the world, much less the, the work that's going on around the world to spread that gospel. Uh, we ourselves may not be uh, called to do that work in the front line sense of it, uh, but we are certainly called to support those who do. And so tonight we have opportunity uh, to, to hear the word of God challenge us in the ways that we're to be uh, evangelizing, I think, but also an opportunity to uh, pray for, in a particular way, those who are, again, out on the front lines. Well, tonight's gospel reading, to say the least, is a bit challenging. Uh, it's a bit startling. Uh, it, ha it makes bold claims about what it means to murder and what it actually means to commit adultery. And I, I, I think we should be startled by that gospel, but I think it's our epistle reading that startles me more because Paul gets to do that thing that only traveling evangelists get to do, which is to preach a hell and fire brimstone sermon because they're going to get in the station wagon and pull out the next day. So I've said this before, you know, being raised in Virginia, uh, we had revival weeks. We scheduled revival weeks when, uh, when an evangelist was going to come to town. I mean, I guess we couldn't schedule the Holy Spirit to show up and actually revive us, but we had these weeks where we set it aside to try to make it possible. And again, you know, we, we have these revivalists show up, and I remember my father-in-law, you know, now retired 
uh, Baptist minister once quipped, you know, the great thing about being an evangelist is it's three good sermons. That's it, right? Because uh, you, you preach them and you go. And adding to that, you get kind of get to preach hellfire and brimstone, and then you ride out of town, and the pastor cleans up behind you. Um, but Paul, I mean, Paul looks and says to the Corinthian church, but I, brothers and sisters, implied, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I mean, Paul, if this is a job interview, you're done. We want someone to come tell us how well we're doing. That doesn't make us feel well that you're telling us we're like children, infants. But Paul reinforces and said, matter of fact, you're infantile, so I had to feed you with milk, not solid food. For you are not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. Hey, wait a second. The evangelist just wrote a letter now harping on us that we're still not ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? Right, I mean, it's one thing to think, wait, my anger at someone is like murdering them? Wait, my, my thought life about someone's attractiveness or something like that is, is adultery? And then there's Paul. Guess what, fleshly people? Guess what, children? Wow, okay, so he's in our face. And I think we could reflect tonight by thinking like, okay, let's, let's take Paul. We're not the church at Corinth. It'd be easy to think about all the ways we've moved beyond the people in Corinth. And don't get me wrong, like the church in Corinth is a messed up church, right? I mean, there was everything going on in there from, uh, you know, people sleeping with family members to suing each other in the pagan courts, et cetera, et cetera. It was not a perfect church, but, but I don't think Paul's thinking like, you know, like, well, you're just particularly bad, so I can say this about you. The inspired word of God would seem to suggest that there's something for all of us to be learned in it. So maybe we should think like Paul is describing a present condition of humankind, a, a way that we should even reorient and think about it. That is that these Corinthians and maybe, maybe you and me, maybe us, maybe the North American church, maybe just the 21st century church in general or something, we're not spiritual people, but we're people of the flesh. And, and not only does he say we're people of the flesh, or, but, you know, he, he reinforces it again twice in verse 3 when he says you're still of the flesh and you're of the flesh. In other words, you're acting and being like people who are on the outside of the church, right? For Paul, the dichotomy is spirit versus flesh. Christians are intended and meant to be spiritual people. People who are outside of the church are the people of the flesh. And so Paul says, like, look, you're not, you're not making a claim about salvation necessarily. He's just saying, like, look, Corinthian Christians, you are acting and being like people who are outside the church. You are spiritually immature. You're infants in Christ. Now, I take it as a compliment when someone says, oh, you look 10 years younger than you are. I mean, I don't get that very often, but occasionally if someone can't see well and they say that to me, I latch onto that and I think like, yes, yes, absolutely. I'm going to latch onto that. But I don't think if someone walked up to me and said, you're like a child in your spiritual life. You're so immature, drinking your milk, so cute. Right? I mean, but that's what he's saying to these Corinthians. And he says, in fact, you can't even eat spiritual food because you weren't ready for it. 
right? I mean, like, you, you, you're not even, it's, it's we, you know, children. At some point, you got to introduce them to solid food. That's the transition. That's what they make. They can't eat out of those sippy packets for the rest of their lives. It would be embarrassing, right? But, I mean, they're not ready for it, right? It's not even like somehow they just can't, but they're not even ready for it. So they just have to keep being fed this milk. I mean, to be blunt and to the point, because, you know, Paul is, spiritual immaturity is not, of course, good. For it leads to completely misunderstanding the nature of the church. And that's the second half of the Corinthian passage tonight, I think. Spiritual immaturity in and of itself is just not good for people who are meant to be not children. Right? We are not supposed to be people of the flesh. We're not supposed to be infants in Christ. As baptized Christians who are growing and empowered by the Holy Spirit to grow in our spiritual lives, we're supposed to be eating solid food. We're supposed to be spiritual people. Not children drinking milk who act as if we're outside of the church. But what's at stake here in Corinth? What's at stake? Well, I think, again, that comes in the rest rest of the verse. What's What's at stake or what happens when people are spiritually immature, is they miss the point of what the church is, or at least who the church is about. Well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. Paul just says, aren't you just being merely human when you talk like that? Right? So spiritual immaturity, being fleshly, leads to thinking that the church is a human institution, that it's about Paul or it's about Apollos. But, of course, the the church is God's. Verse 6, God gave the growth. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. Notice that. They're the servants, and the Lord assigned to them their work as servants. I planted, Paul says. Apollos watered, but... God gave the growth. God gave the growth. The church is God's, and to emphasize that, he continues. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. In other words, watering plants is good. They die otherwise. But guess what? The person who waters the plants is just doing a thing assigned to them by who in this metaphor? God. God is the one who's giving the growth. God is the one who made the plants to work. God is the one who gave us water. God is the one who makes it possible for plants to receive water and grow. That's God's work. We don't do anything. Except be the servants that God appoints us. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For if we are God's fellow workers... For we are God's fellow workers, rather. You are God's field, God's building. Right? The church belongs to God. It's God who gives the increase. It's God who grows up the church. Right? The church isn't about Paul. The church isn't about Apollos. The church certainly isn't meant to be a place for fleshly people who act like they're outside the church. It's not supposed to be the place where we settle for milk and remain infants because we're not ready for it. No, the church is the place where we experience growth. It's the, it's the safe and stable home environment. It's the preschool. It's the nursery. It's the place where we grow 
from children into mature adults. And not because of people named Paul, Apollos, Greg, or anything else, but because it's God's work in us through his church. Turns out the church is a divine institution. It's not of human origin. And its purpose is to make us mature followers of he who is the Lord of the church. And so if we cast this into the context of of World Mission Sunday, this isn't just that the gospel goes out in some sort of, I don't know, uh, ethereal way. The gospel goes out in a container. The church is, is, is she who carries the gospel. When Christians go out and take the gospel around the world, they are not just there to see people come to faith in some individualistic sense, but they are building the universal one church of Jesus Christ. They're just servants. They're Paul. They're Apollos. God is the one who's doing the work. God is the one who's giving the growth, to use the Pauline language. Why? Because, again, the church isn't a voluntary association of people. We're not a country club. Like I, I, I've never belonged to a country club, but I, I think they're nicer <laughs> than this. Like, I mean, I think. Last time I checked, we don't even have a golf course or anything like that, right? I mean, we're not, a, we're not just something that we should maybe try to make room for in our lives because, again, it's a voluntary association in as much as it's like some other organization that I choose to be a part of. No, the church is of divine origin. It's God's church. He it gives the growth, and he wants us to grow in the church. Because, again, Paul is talking to the church. He's talking to the Christians gathered in Corinth. So what would he say about the Christians gathered in La Mirada, the Anglican Church of the Epiphany? Again, the church is not a human institution. Taking the gospel to the ends of the earth is not a human endeavor. It is the work of God in the lives of his people. He needs Paul's. He needs Apollo's. Right? He needs the people that we pray for each and every week. He also needs the people that we don't pray for, for, but we hold in our hearts because we know that they're missionaries and people who are spreading the gospel. But at the end of the day, we don't, we don't want Jerry, Father Jerry Kramer, for example, to be out there. We don't want him to be establishing Father Jerry Kramer churches. We want him to be extending the church of Jesus Christ. We don't want him out there building a human institution. We want him out there spreading the divine institution. So Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 6, I think, just have to be brought in this evening as we reflect on this. And so excuse me for bringing in an additional reading, but I think it, it's something that we need to hear. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He's, he is not doing what he does to the Corinthians. Matter of fact, if you were a Christian in Ephesus and you got this letter from Paul, you'd be like, oh, man, this is amazing. This is some awesome, great theology here. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise and glory, glorious grace 
to the praise of his glorious, glorious grace, which he has freely given us and the one he loves. In him, in him, we have redemption through his blood. In him, we have the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, not just you and I, but we as the church, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions, possession to the praise of his glory. Before the foundations of the world, God was building his church. And whatever we would say about predestination, it's a biblical word, so we have to say it. Whatever we would say, there we've been predestined as the church of Jesus Christ to experience these bountiful blessings that God makes available to us. And if chapter 1 of Ephesians wasn't great, you know, mostly it's great because unlike the Corinthians, he's not calling them children. That's, that's great. Right? I'd rather have Paul come and wax eloquent about, about the church and everything than calling me a baby. But in Ephesians 4... He then says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What's that calling? Takes us back to chapter one. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people, the church, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, he writes, we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, the church, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the point tonight, if it hasn't been clear, it's this. We do not want to be immature children acting and being like those who are outside of the church. Instead, we want to be faithful members and, uh, of the body of Christ called by God into this relationship so that what? We can be made mature, so that we can grow up to the fullness of the stature of Christ. And we should desire for everyone to come in to this thing called the church. And we should pray for those who are on the front lines doing that work around the world. But yet at the same time, we need to remind ourselves that that call is still on us. Again, we're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. We do not get excused from our responsibility, not only to mature 
ourselves, but to be vitally involved in the work of God maturing all people. That is his church. We will not do it. God will do it. God will give the growth as we faithfully plant and water that which he entrusts to us. So on this World Mission Sunday, it's not just about the gospel, though it is certainly about that. But it's, what, it's what's about what the gospel builds, what is the result of taking the gospel around the world. And that is the church of Jesus Christ, his body, wherein he is our head. And we can grow up and be like him, the fullness, the fullness and stature of Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.